Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Turn with me to the Old Testament book of Obadiah. The Old Testament book of Obadiah and Obadiah chapter 1. It's helpful that it only has one chapter. As you're looking for Obadiah, it is in the section of the Bible that we call the Minor Prophets. The section of your Bible that usually the pages are still stuck together. But we're trying to open it up and get some fresh air into those pages now. The book of Obadiah is tucked in between the book of Amos and the book of Jonah so that if it helps you find it, remember it's only one chapter so it can be easy to be missed. But we want to take some time as we're going through this series of the Minor Prophets is that we're taking one Minor Prophet a week and highlighting it, trying to give us a survey, trying to give us an understanding of these books so that way when you read these books for yourself, the light comes on. You say, I know something about this. And the passages make a little bit more sense. They become a little bit more clearer because somebody's taken the time to explain the backdrop, the characters, the people of it, what's accomplished on here. So that way you could draw more from these books for yourself. Again, one of the reasons why people don't like the Minor Prophets is because sometimes they don't have the backdrop. With a historical book, you could kind of get a running start. With an epistle, you could say, okay, this is talking about New Testament times. Psalms, okay, well, they're talking about the hard issues of life. But the minor prophets, because they are prophecies, oftentimes, without the context, without the history, without understanding what's going on, there are a bunch of words that you're trying to place together. Now, we're thankful for God's Spirit who can make all things understandable, but sometimes it's helpful to be able to have someone to say, this is what's going on, this is what's happening, and let the Holy Spirit fill in the gaps and go, okay, there, that's clear. And that way you can get more out of it. That's my heart and my desire is I never want the Bible to be a dull book. I never want it to be said when we read our Bible, I didn't get anything out of it. It was a waste of my time. We want it so every time you read it, as you're trusting God and depending upon his spirit, that you're saying, man, it was good to be in the Bible. Let me tell you, I read something in Obadiah today and it spoke to me. That's what we want is God's word to ring true every time you open up his word. So with that... Hopefully you've found enough time at least to find the index and the page number at the front to find your way to the book of Obadiah. The book of Obadiah, and let's look starting at verse number one. The book of Obadiah, starting at verse one, the word of God says this. The vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Thou, hast, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. If thieves came to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? 
If the grape gatherers came to thee, would they not leave some grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They eat thy bread, have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the mount of Esau? And thy mighty men, O Telman, shall be dismayed to the end that every one of the mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that strangers carried away captive his forces, and the foreigners entered his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou was want, wast as one of them. But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother, in the day that he shall become a stranger. Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Thou shouldest not have entered into the gates of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered those up of his that did remain in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. For as ye have drank upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle in them and devour them. And there shall not be any remaining in the house of Esau. For the Lord hath spoken of it. And they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau. And they of the plain of Philistines. And they shall possess the fields of Ephraim. And the fields of Samaria. And Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captivity of this host of the people, children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites, even unto Zarephath. And the captivity of Jerusalem, which is in Sepharad, shall possess the cities of the south. And the Savior shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark two phrases that I want to emphasize? First of all, in verse number 18, where it talks about twice, the house of Esau. The house of Esau. And that's in opposition as the next time we hit Obadiah, we're going to talk about the house of Jacob. Today we're hitting the house of Esau. The second thing I want to highlight is in verse number 6. Notice the phrase, how are the things of Esau searched out? 
How are the things of Esau searched out? And with these two ideas of the house of Esau and how are the things of Esau searched out, we would like to preach a message dealing with the house of Esau. How are the things of Esau searched out? If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And I thank you for your word and that we could trust you. And as we examine this, help us to understand more about this history of Esau, this history of Edom, and to see what relationship they had with the Hebrew people and to see what promises that they're going to have because of what they have done and their lifestyle that they've lived. Help us to be able to apply it to our own lives. And just again, you put us in awe because of your word. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And again, we trust to get your own work accomplished through your spirit. Just use me as your instrument. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. In the book of Obadiah, it is referring to something, an event, and it's addressing the people of Edom. The people of Edom. Edom is a country that's located to the southeast of where Jerusalem, Judea, Israel are at. It's going to be right along the Dead Sea. Of course, above that on the other side of the Jordan, you would have Moab and you would have Ammon. But Edom was very important throughout the entire history of the Old Testament dealing with the people of Israel. Now in the context of Edom, what has happened is that God has sent his spanking rod. He has spent his chastening force of the Babylonians to come. And of course the Babylonians came and destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed Judea in 586 BC. And the neighbors to their south, and may I say the brother of Israel, was Edom from the house of Esau. And by the time if we could use this imagery, when God is taking his child Judea and he's spanking them, he's chastising them, you have the brother of Edom who's going, ah, ha, 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 that's what you get. And he's laughing and he's mocking and he's making fun of. And in fact, in the text, we could see that when the people of Judea, some of them were running away from the Babylonians, the Edomites blocked off their escape and said, nope, uh, you can't go this way. And some of them captured some of them and delivered them to the Babylonians. And because of their pride, and of course they're very prideful people, the people in Edom are known for the rocks. The city of Petra is inside of this place here. This is where it talks about that they built uh, in verse number three, the pride of thine own heart hath deceived thee. Thou dwellest in the cleft of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? Of course, Petra is a city built into the rocks of Edom. And it is a rock fortress. And if you can imagine that you built your house into a mountain, they said, who's going to break down this mountain? It's not like you're going to huff and puff and blow this house down. And so they said, no one's going to capture us. No one could defeat us. We're too impenetrable. And God says, that's pride. You think you're untouchable. I'm going to send the Babylonians. The same rod that spanked you is going to come and destroy you. And by the way, I'm going to reestablish Jerusalem. I'm going to reestablish Judea. You're gone. You're done. And this is the heart of, of the book of Obadiah. But in order to really understand this relationship between 
uh, Edom and Jerusalem, Israel, the Hebrew people, we must go back to the two ancestors, the two people that started it, Jacob and Esau, the twins. And when we understand the relationship, and may I say, when we understand the character of Esau, we truly understand the nation of Edom. And it makes this passage come more alive because we're understanding who these people are, how they behave, where they came from, because the people of Edom are indeed the people of Esau in his character, in his likeness, and his relationship to, uh, to Jacob and the relationship to God. No wonder the Bible says, how are the things of Esau searched out? This is uh, telling us that in order to understand the book of uh, Obadiah, to understand the people of Edom, we must understand the house, the person of Esau. So with that, we're going to take the book of Obadiah and we'll explain it some more in a future service. But let's go to the book of Genesis and let's do a character study on the person of Esau. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Genesis. And we're going to cover several passages in Genesis and tell the story. And we begin at Genesis chapter number 25. Now, as we turn there, I want to remind you that the book of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 16 describes Esau as a profane man. A profane man. The word profane carries the idea to cross the threshold. That basically there's a line here and like a spoiled brat child who thought he's invincible, stepped across the line. He crossed the line. He's profane. Instead of following through with what God had for him, he chose to make his own way. He was profane. He crossed the borders that God had placed, and he gladly and proudly crossed those borders. This is a good description of the person of Esau, is that he was a profane man. Let's further define what this means as him a profane man as we search out the character of Esau. Now let's examine his birth as we start off here as just giving the introduction. Notice with me in the book of Genesis 25. Genesis 25, and let's pick it up in verse 19. Genesis 25 and verse 19. And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Isaac, Abraham beget Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Pethuel, the Syrian of Pandamaram, the sister to Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. So if you could imagine, they got married, and for a while, they weren't able to have kids. And they would pray, Lord, we want to have kids. We want to have kids. And one day, good news, you're expecting and she began to grow and grow, but something wasn't right. It wasn't just like kicking. There was fighting going on. What's going on, Lord? What's, what's happening? Verse 23, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in thy womb. By the way, that's true. You're going to have the nation of Israel and the nation of Edom. Two nations are in thy womb, and two men or two types of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other, 
and the elder shall serve the younger. So he said, so here is um, Rebecca. God, what's going on? I can't, they're, they're fighting with each other. It's struggling. What's going on? And God says, guess what? You're going to have twins. And they already don't like each other. They're already fighting together in the womb. They hated each other from the very beginning. They couldn't even share the same space within the womb. And they're punching and fighting each other. And struggling for dominance. And God says, guess what? There are going to be two nations that are coming out. This is a big deal. Verse number 24. And when her days were to be delivered were fulfilled. Behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. All over like a hairy garment. And they called his name Esau. Esau, by the way, means red. <laughs> so he comes out, he's red and hairy. And oh, well, this is Esau. It came out looking like a Yeti, I think. Just He was hairy all over. It said hairy like a garment. It's not like a little bit of hair. It's like a garment. This guy came out all hairy as a baby. And the other that came, his brother came out and his hand took a hold of Jacob's heel, or Esau's heel. And his name was called Jacob and Isaac was three score years old when he bare them. Now, I happened to sit with a missionary not too long ago who's from Egypt. And he was explaining to me that the word Jacob actually uh, carries the name. The word heel is like Cobb. And Jacob is the one who grabbed the heel. And it carries a little bit further the name of just the, the, how close they were together. It wasn't just several minutes. Here's Esau, this hairy little baby comes out. And the brother's hanging on to him, coming out with him. Can you imagine what a delivery that would have been? Especially if I described to you how ladies gave birth in those days. That's another story altogether. It, it involves stools and sitting up, not laying down. Imagine how that would be. That's a different story altogether. Notice with me as we pick it up in verse number 26, uh, verse 27. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. And Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So here we have these two boys, and they're already fighting right away. And Esau was a person who lived for this world. He loved the world. He grew up in the wild. He grew up with a godly heritage, by the way. He grew up in a house of Isaac. Remember, Isaac willingly laid himself down on the altar when his dad said, I'm going to kill you, but God's going to raise you up. He willingly laid himself down on the altar. Imagine what faith it took at that time. By the way, that event only happened uh, seven years before he got married. We don't know how long exactly they had the twins afterwards, but it's still fairly recent, within 20 years. And so they are born. And they grew up in a, in a household that had faith. Abraham was the grandfather. Could you imagine what it would be like to have Abraham as your grandfather? And to be able to talk to Abraham and what it was like? And he was a type of person... Esau was a type of person who got along with the world. Just the wrong world. He was a profane man. So with this, let's do a character study. The first thing I want to show you is what Esau sold. What Esau sold. Notice as we continue on in chapter 25. Notice with me in verse number 29. And Jacob sawed pottage 
And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. So Esau had been out all day hunting or running wild or whatever he's doing. He comes in, he hasn't eaten for a while, he didn't catch anything, and he's just dying. And here's Jacob making a pot of of chili. You can imagine the pottage carries the idea of beans. So it's carrying the idea of some beans and a chili. And can you smell it? That beautiful chili. Just bring it up. Nice Texas chili. Not this Wisconsin noodle stuff. But good Texas chili. And he stirred it up. He's got it ready to go. Esau comes in. Oh, I can't go. Oh, what is that? That smells wonderful. Notice as it picks it up in verse 30 again. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with the same red pottage, for I'm faint. Therefore his name was called Edom, which carries the idea of red here. And Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. Now God had already promised Jacob the birthright. But Jacob, because of who he is, said, you know what? Let's see about Esau. Let's see what he thinks about this. Give me your birthright. Now, what is the birthright? A birthright had three properties to it, three tenets to it. First of all was property rights. That what would happen is the oldest, the person who got the birthright, usually the oldest, would receive a double inheritance. It was also because he was expected to take care of his parents, so he was supposed to have enough money to take care of his parents and get an inheritance, but he'd get a double portion of inheritance. In addition, in those days, the, uh, the oldest or the person who received the inheritance would be the family priest. He'd be the one that would make the decisions for the family. He would direct traffic. He would say, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to go as a family. And then, he, in the Old Testament for this specific line, he was to be the progenitor, meaning that he was to carry the line of Christ. He was going to be the one used to bring in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And so Jacob said, you know what? You don't really want that thing in the first place. How about you sell it to me and I'll give you a bowl of chili. Notice Esau's response. Verse 32. And Esau said, behold, I'm at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, swear me this day. And he swore unto him. And he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and a pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way, and thus Esau despised his birthright. You know, here is a man who didn't care about the things of the Lord. So when it came time, hey, go ahead and sell me this thing. I don't care about this thing anyways. I don't care what God wants from me. I want my own thing. Sure, take it. I'm going to die anyways. Give me, give me this chili. And so for a bowl of chili, he sold out what he could have had from the Lord. He sold it out. Not that big of a deal anyways. You know, it's amazing when you see in the Bible people who sold out. Jacob's brothers, or Jacob's sons, sold Joseph for 20 pieces of silver. We don't like our brother, let's sell him out. They sold his brother. Balaam sold out for a purse of Moabite gold. Hey, I'll preach whatever message you want if you pay me. He sold out his preaching for for Moabite gold. Here's Achan who sold out his entire country for 20 pieces of silver, a wedge of gold, and a Babylonian uh, coat. Sold out his entire country. People died 
because he sold out. I want it for myself. Saul sold out his obedience for cattle. Ah, I don't care what God says. Let's bring this cattle. He said, don't you hear the cattle bleeding and stuff? They were, I just had to do it. He sold out his obedience for cattle. Solomon sold out his wisdom and his walk with the Lord for money, women, and song. Ahab sold out his entire country so he could be with a very evil woman by the name of Jezebel. Demas, he sold out for a softer time on earth. Demas had forsaken me loving this present world. I'd rather things be easy for me in this life than be hard. So I don't want to follow after God anymore so I can have an easier life. You had Judas who sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And Esau here sold his birthright, sold the, what he could have had for a bowl of chili. You think about those people, they did not get good deals for what they sold. And yet you have people that are selling out all the time because they are not content to wait and to have what God has for them. They're willing to have something that is lesser in order for what they need for the immediate. I'd rather be taken care of now than worry about the future. We see what Esau had sold. These people sold out their hope of heaven. They sold out their hope for eternal things for something they could have now. Let me tell you, what is worth more, a bowl of chili or rewards in heaven? Well, definitely the rewards of heaven. But how many people live for the here and now? Oh, what makes me happy now? What makes me smile now? I don't care about tomorrow and I don't care about the future. It's all about what I could have now. Not only what Esau sold, but we also see what Esau sought. What Esau sought. As we fast forward, we come to the book of Genesis chapter 27. And chapter 27, we see it displayed a broken, troubled home. Everyone had their own thing. You had four corners. You had Isaac. You had Rebekah. You had Jacob. You had Esau. And everyone's playing against the middle. Isaac is old now. His eyes are getting dim. And he says, it's about time that I go ahead and officially give the inheritance to my sons. Well, because Isaac won it his own way, he sent Esau to go make him some of his favorite venison. Go catch a deer. You bring them back and you make them the way that I like it. You know how I like it, son. And when you bring it in, bring it to me. I'll go ahead and officially give you the blessing. I'll officially give you the inheritance. I'll bring it into you. And so Esau said, all right, here we go. Forgetting that he sold out his inheritance in the first place and forgetting that God had made a promise that Jacob was going to get it in the first place. I can get it back. I can get back. No problem. So he went off. But then you have Rebekah who decides, I don't want to wait for the Lord. I want to do things my own way. And so she brings in her favorite son, Jacob, and says, Jacob, I got a plan. I know how to spice up this goat meat. Make it taste just like your dad likes it. We're going to fool him. And I want you to do is I want you to go and serve him. And you know dad can't see well anymore. And I want you to go in and deliver this soup. And he's going to give you the blessing. Well he objections and says. Well mom. I don't sound like him. But second of all. I don't feel like him. He's hairy. She goes don't worry I've got a plan for this. 
So what she did is not only start preparing the meat, but then what she did is she took some goat skin. Now, I've got a sheepskin here that our church had given us years ago, uh, years ago, and I'm thankful for it. This is my prayer rug. I take and pray on it, study on it, and I'm thankful for it. But can you imagine what she did? She took some goat skin and put on his arm. And then dad, when she goes and he delivers it, he goes, it sounds like Jacob's voice. I, um, I'm Esau. Well, come here, let me feel you. And he felt the goat skin on him and says, yeah, that feels just like Esau. How hairy was that guy in the first place? I meant, if this doesn't feel like normal hair. I know this is a sheepskin, but goat skin's even worse. I mean, yeah, I'm petting you. You're just like petting an animal. What kind of guy was that? So Jacob puts in this masquerade. <laughs> you can just see him trying to practice to sound like Esau. Yep. <clears throat> he probably had a higher voice. Hi, Dad. And Esau, hi. <clears throat> so he's like, <clears throat> yep. Uh, sorry, that, that, that was me. I'm Esau, not Jacob. You sound just like Jacob. No, 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 no. Feel me. Feel me. Yeah, just like Esau. It's like I'm petting him even now. I mean, how hairy was... I keep asking my daughters, could you go out with someone that hairy? I mean, he looks like a Yeti or something. I just Can you imagine? Anyways. <laughs> so they pet him. And uh, Jake... Uh, he fools Isaac. Isaac can't see. All right, fine. You feel like him, son. So let's what? You get the blessing. You're going to be what God blesses. You're going to carry the line of the Messiah. You're going to receive all of these promises. You're going to receive the inheritance. Thank you for playing. Jacob goes, yay, I got the official blessing. Well, Esau comes back and has no clue what's going on. He spent time to go hunt. He go grabs the deer, cooks it up, processes it, makes it, brings it back. and says, dad, here I am. And immediately Isaac says, uh oh, something's wrong. But, but was it you just here? No, I just got, oh, oh. He says, I just gave away your birthright. I just gave away the inheritance. And here, what Esau sought is he comes, and he, this is where Esau realized he neglected spiritual things. He comes and says, is there any blessing left for me? Is there any? No, you've given it away. You didn't care about it before. Why do you care about it now? Because he neglected it because he didn't care for it. When he couldn't have it, now he finally misses it. When he couldn't have it, when it was no longer his, he wanted it back. It also, because of this, it caused him to spur him on to never think about spiritual things ever again. Isn't this just like the world? He sought for this blessing, but only after he had wasted his life. Why doesn't God bless me now? Well, fine. If God's not going to bless me the way that I live, I'm never going to look for him ever again. And that's exactly what happened. He never looked on spiritual things ever again. I'm done. So we see what Esau sold. We see what Esau sought. We also see what Esau supposed. What Esau supposed. Now with this, we come to an interesting passage. Look with me in Genesis 26. There are several passages that speak about this, including a whole chapter. But notice with me in Genesis chapter 26. Notice with me in verse 34. Genesis 26 and 34. It says, When Esau was 40 years old, when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Bere, the Hittite, 
and Bashemith, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, which were a grief of mind unto Isaac and to Rebekah. So here's Esau, who is not spiritually minded, and he goes and marries people that are wrong for him. And by the way, horribly wrong. One of these ladies was not only a pagan, but she horrified the parents. Notice this. It was a grief to mind to Isaac and Jacob. Why is this? We find out later on in scripture that she was an actual practicing occultist. And she had a belief of practicing the occult. And his parents said, oh, he's not believing in God at all. They're mixed up in this other stuff over here. This occult. They're getting into dark, awful stuff. And it's affecting him. And so Esau thought that his parents were just upset because he married uh, because he married Canaanite people. So he actually changes her name to more of a Hebrew name. Just say, look, we'll be more acceptable. But he missed the point. The point was is that his marriage was not the problem. It was a revealing symptom. The problem was is he didn't care about things of the Lord in the first place. And when you don't care about things of the Lord, it's going to show up in other areas of your life. Like if you don't care what the Lord says about you or what God wants for you, if you don't care what the Bible says, then you're going to marry someone you shouldn't marry. And it's going to hurt you and it's going to affect you. And then to cover it up, you're going to try to clean things up, to put a new uh, coat of paint on it, to change something. And that's not the problem. The problem was your own heart. And the heart was wrong in the first place. Notice as we see this again in chapter number 28. Chapter 28, Jacob has already received the blessing. Uh, Esau is uh, very much jealous of him. So they send Jacob to go, uh, go up to live with uh, Rebekah's brother with the idea, don't marry a heathen. Don't marry someone who's, who's not of this lineage. Don't marry someone who's not a believer. Notice as it goes on. And uh, we could see in verse number, uh, chapter 28, starting in verse 8. And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, then Esau went unto Ishmael and took one of the wives which he had, Methane, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the daughter of Nebajoth, to be his wife. So again, he's not understanding that the problem is his heart. So he tries to say, well, you know what? Maybe dad will like the way that I live if I go marry this girl. And so he adds more to the problem. Because Ishmael is not the believing side of the family either. And so he's making things worse. And all it is, is revealing his heart. The marriage was not the main problem. It was a revealing of what his heart was really like. I don't care about the things of the Lord. I don't care what God says. And so now he marries. And it's breaking his parents' heart. Because they could see what bad effects it has. The marriage was not the problem. His heart was the problem. We see what Esau supposed. Well, I could fix this problem by changing her name. I could fix this problem by marrying somebody else. That was not the problem. What Esau supposed. We see what Esau sold. We see what Esau sought. We see what Esau supposed. Then we see this. What Esau substituted. What Esau substituted. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 36. 
In Genesis chapter 36, the whole chapter is dedicated to the generations of Esau, who is Edom. We see that in Genesis 36 and verse 1. And this entire chapter is going to cover Esau's family and what happened. Now, because of what happened between Jacob and Esau, because his parents were displeased, Esau said, forget this. I'll do it my own way. And so he moved to the, where we would now call Edom. He now moved away from the land that was promised. He moved to the mountainous area of Edom. And he began to get away from religion. And he wanted to make his own fortune. Notice with me in chapter 36. Notice with me starting at verse 8. Thus dwelt Esau in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. Now again, I'm trying to put this in a, in, a, in a clear declarative statement. Esau is Edom. So therefore, when you go to Obadiah later on, you understand that the character of Esau is going to be the character of the Edomites. You cannot separate the two. Esau is Edom. This is his family, and they carry that same idea as a people, the same belief. We don't care about the things of God. We don't care about God's people. We don't care about God's promise. We could do it ourselves. We don't need God and his blessings. We're fine on our own. Notice in verse number seven, for their riches, um, Esau 36, notice with me in verse 6, that's where I was going. And Esau took wives and his sons and his daughters and all the persons of his house and his cattle and his beasts and his, all of his substance, which he had gotten in the land of Canaan, and went into the country from the face of his brother Jacob. Fine, I don't care what Jacob does, I'm going to do my own thing. Verse 7, for their riches were more than they might dwell together. And the land wherein they were strangers could not bear them because of their cattle. Thus dwelt Esau in Mount Seir, Esau is Edom. And this whole thing is going to go through the lineage and what happens. And since his portion was to be of the world, he might as well have a big portion. So he moved to the land we know as Edom. And this was the place of the rock carved, just like Petra. And it wasn't long until he started to become chief of them. He made his mark. And before long, his own children, his sons, are dukes of Edom. And they are controlling the whole kingdom. So Esau said, listen, I don't need your God. And I don't need his blessings. I could do it all by myself. And so he did. And he made fortune. He climbed the social ladder. He went up and made himself a big deal. He made his family a big deal. And it was all under his own strength and his own power. As we go on, we're seeing what Esau sold. We see what Esau sought. We see what Esau supposed. We see what Esau substituted. He substituted God's blessing and he replaced it with his own standing, his own power, his own will. Then we see this, what Esau said. What Esau said. Notice with me in Genesis 33. Genesis 33, if you remember what is going on at this time. In Genesis 33, Jacob has now returned back from spending this time with Laban. He is in this time received two wives. He has 11 sons and one more on the way. He has been blessed over these years because God has placed his blessing upon Jacob. God has taken care of Jacob. God has watched over Jacob. God has given blessings to Jacob. So Jacob comes and he finally wants to make peace with Esau. 
And so his idea is that he wants to give Esau a gift. Let's make peace. Let me give this. And I want you to see what Esau said and see what's behind it in Genesis chapter 33. Genesis 33, notice with me in verse 8. And he, this is Esau, said, What meanest thou by all this drove which I met? And he said, Jacob said, And these are to find grace in the sight of my Lord. And Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep that that thou hast to thyself. And Jacob, excuse me, and Jacob said, Nay, I pray thee, if if I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my present at my hand. For therefore I have seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God, and thou wast pleased with me. Take, I pray thee, my blessing that has been brought to thee, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. And he urged him and he took him. But notice this. God has blessed me and now I want to share with you. I want to make peace with you. And Esau says, no, I don't want your blessings. I don't need the blessings of God. I could do it all by myself. I don't need what you say. We know that Esau climbed the social ladder while Jacob climbed the spiritual ladder. Jacob got closer with the Lord why Esau became more in power. When Jacob came back to apologize to Esau, he offered some of his best to make peace with him. But Esau said, I managed to be blessed without your God. I'm fine. What a horrible thing that he is missing out. Missing out on God's blessing. I can do it myself. I don't need God's blessing. We see what Esau said. We see something else here. What Esau sowed. What Esau sowed. Esau sold, sowed a terrible seed in the world. Remember, we're talking about the principle of reaping and sowing. That you should reap what you plant. You sow it into the earth, you're going to reap what you have. If I put a, a kernel of corn in the ground, am I going to get a tomato? Am I going to get a whale? What happens, you reap what you sow. You reap later than you sow, you reap more than you sow. Well, because Esau spent his entire life sowing the world, sowing the flesh, sowing it in his own flesh, I could do it myself, I don't need God's blessing, guess what he's going to reap? He's going to reap what he sowed. The Bible says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Because he wanted to live his life without God, because he could do it himself, I have enough pride, I could get by without God's blessing, he's going to reap that same thing. One of the descendants of Edom was a family called Amalek. And his tribe became, the Amaleks became so hostile towards Israel that God said we would have a war between us forever because they hated Israel so badly. In fact, the last mention of Esau in the Old Testament was terrible. Turn with me to another minor prophet, the book of Malachi. If you find the gospel records, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, turn the other direction, the very last Old Testament book is Malachi. And I want you to see what Malachi says at the very beginning of Malachi. Malachi chapter 1. Let's see what is the last mention of Esau in the Old Testament. What does God say? After those years are up, 
What does God have to say concerning Esau? Malachi chapter 1. Notice with me in verse number 2. I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob. Notice verse 3. And I hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Can you imagine this? Because he lived his life and taught all of his descendants, you don't have to live for God, live it for yourself. You don't need God in your life. That God got to the place towards the end of that history, I hate Esau. They hate me, I hate them. What a horrible commentary on the life of these people. <laughs> of course, as you now flip over to the New Testament, the very, one of the first people that you meet in the New Testament was a man by the name of Herod the Great. And guess what family Herod the Great descended from? Edom. And of course, Herod the Great attempted to kill Jesus. We could see this struggle all the way through history. And it didn't have to be so. But Esau, I could do it without God. I don't need his blessings. I could do it myself. I don't need God. And so thus we have the struggle of two families. One that at least tried to follow after God. They failed from time to time, but they tried to follow after God. And one who completely said, I don't care about God. I don't care about his people. I don't care about God's things. I could do it myself. Leave me alone. And thus we can have this antagonistic struggle until we come to the book of Edom, uh, book of Obadiah. And in the book of Obadiah, the two brothers, the two families, God spanks the one. And you got the older profane brother laughing. <laughs> That's what you get, you losers. Can't touch me. <laughs> and God takes the book of Obadiah and after spanking his child of, of Judah, looks over to Edom and says, listen, I heard you laughing. You can't get away with laughing when I'm chastising my child. You're next. And we'll cover more about the book of Obadiah later. But that's the context. This opens it up. This gives you an understanding of what this book is about. And the relationship that they have. That I've searched. How can we search out the ways of Esau? Well very clearly in the Old Testament. In the book of Genesis. We could see this struggle. Which now brings us to this. What can we learn from Esau? What is it that we can learn? Well there's several things here. First of all. We can't make the faults and failings of our parents an excuse for our own lack of spiritual interest. We cannot make the faults and failings of our parents an excuse for our own lack of spiritual interest. Yes, was Isaac and Rebekah wrong in many ways? Absolutely. Esau took that as an excuse. <laughs> Mom and dad, they're not right. You saw what they did. Forget it. I'm not going to follow we know that Jacob was also a victim in that. But yet Jacob still managed to get close to God. So much that God changed his name from Jacob to Israel, the prince of God. And he says, I'm going to bless your family and I've got something prepared for you. And I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to watch over you. And he made promises to him. 
Esau could have had that. But he said, nope, nope. My dad doesn't follow God, so I don't have to either. Mom and dad don't live like they should, so you know what? I don't even need to try. Let me tell you, it's not an excuse. You can't blame them. You need to choose to live for God no matter what your parents live like. No matter what your parents do. You can't use it as an excuse. We also understand a second thing here. You can't sow in the flesh and then not reap corruption. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you live your whole life living without regard to God, that's the results you're going to reap in your life. That is a true fact. You can't get away from it. This is why we try to grab young people and say, live for the Lord now. There are less consequences that come back to haunt you. Live for the Lord now. Someone says, well, I could do it later. You can't live with your life without regard to God. You have to have God's blessing or you're going to miss out so much. And it's going to cost you more than you can. We also understand this. You can't marry outside the will of God and not have it affect your life. Esau said, I don't care. I can marry whoever I want. And he found out that it didn't bring the blessing and the happiness and the joy he thought it would. It hurt him and hurt his relationship with those around him because of the person he married. We also understand this. You cannot get away with ignoring the word of God and God's will. It's going to affect you, but it won't just affect you. The Bible promises four generations from you are going to be affected. Four generations. The things that you're doing now will not just affect you. You understand a father does not go to hell by himself. A father does not enter eternity by himself. If a father goes to hell, he's usually bringing his kids with him. Because they're going to follow after the pattern of their father. And then that generation is going to influence another generation. Let me tell you, you cannot get away with ignoring God's word and God's will. It affects others around you. There is a payday someday. Be not deceived, for God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. We also understand this. We cannot do as we please in this life and escape the consequences. Someone said, life is like a cafeteria line. You could take whatever you want, but you have to pay the cashier at the end. There are consequences for our actions. Every action. There's good consequences and there's bad consequences. You understand, what we see in the life of Esau is that you can't do whatever you want and expect to get away scot-free. There are consequences. And again, as we have young people, all I could do is implore you and let you know, now is the time to live for God. Don't wait and say, well, you know, later on after I've graduated, had a wife and kids and get a secure job, and then I'll think about following God. What you're doing is you're sowing a lot of corruption. You're sowing a lot of flesh. And they're going to come back and they're going to haunt you. And you didn't have to go through those things. Now is the time to live for the Lord. Someone who says, well, you know what? I'm living consequences now. Let me tell you, live for the Lord now and you'll reap those consequences later. Just start from wherever you are and move forward. Keep advancing forward. Keep going for God. God is a great God who wants to bless us. 
We cannot survive without God's blessings. We need him. Let me tell you, Esau is a profane man. He's a worldly man. He had the idea that he could live his life without regard to God. And yeah, he may have been successful in money and business, but it cost him in so many other areas that it was not worth it. If Esau could read the book of Obadiah and see what was going to happen, could you imagine that's what he wants for all of his family to be destroyed and completely wiped out? Of course not. But you understand, we don't have video screens that tell us the future. We don't have those choices that tells us the end result. This is what faith is. We make a decision to follow after God now. Start from where you are and start moving forward. And let God take care of the future. If we follow after him, we will have the blessings of God. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.